Well, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've probably heard me talk a little bit about abiding. Um, if you're new to the church, maybe you don't even know what that word means. When I talk about abiding, what I'm referencing is in John chapter 15, Jesus is meeting with the disciples before he's to go to the cross, and he says, if you abide in me, then I will abide in you. That really is the, the secret to kingdom living, right there, it's abiding. I've asked the question, and the reason I mention that is, is sometimes, you know, I'm asked, well, how can I live like Jesus? And of course, what's the answer? Come on. What's the answer? Abide. There you go. You know the answer. You know, usually the answer is Jesus, but, you know, it's abide in Jesus, so it's still Jesus. <laughs> it's the same thing. And, and as we get, the reason I mention that this morning is we're going to continue in this, this series on Luke, but specifically on citizens of heaven. And I've mentioned those qualities, those characteristics that are found in Luke chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 5. And those characteristics are listed. We talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And the secret to living in these qualities is to abide in Jesus. There is no way for you to live out these qualities on your own. It's not a punch list. It's not a to-do list. It's not live like this. It's live in Jesus and this is what you're going to look like. That's the qualities that he's listing in Luke chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 5. So I want to continue in looking at those qualities this morning so we can examine how we can live like Jesus. And if you're living like Jesus, this is what it's going to look like. So if you have your Bibles, I do hope you do. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 5. You can stay in your seats this morning. Uh, we do have this passage as recorded from Israel. We were in Israel in June with a number of people from our church. And I want you to see the setting of where this takes place. Jesus is sharing this amazing message, likely to something like 10,000 people. Incredible volume. Well, how do you do that in a day without PA systems? There's this natural amphitheater, this hillside in the Galilee, where Jesus could sit at the pinnacle of the hillside, people rounded out on these hills so that they can hear the message that he's going to preach. So I want you to see the setting for this message today. Shelley and I live a blessed life. And yet, if I were to ask some of you what you thought a blessed life was, a definition of what you think is blessed, I'm sure I'd get different answers. But as we look at Luke chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 5, we find the definition that Jesus gives of what it is to live a blessed life. A blessed life as a citizen in the kingdom of God. And so we want to look through this list, and as we do, I think what you'll find is, is Jesus' definition of a blessed life runs counter to a lot of what we would consider to be the qualities of a blessed life. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, I'm going to be reading verses 20 through 26. And Luke writes, And he lifted up his eyes to his disciples and said, So Jesus lifts up his eyes and says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, 
for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses there. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in the introduction, what we see here, Jesus seeing the crowds. So we're standing in the place in what is the natural amphitheater that Jesus sat in. He would have sat down in the, in the pinnacle point where the crowds would have wrapped around this hillside. 5,000 is what they say in numbers, but of course they're counting the men. So 10,000 people. And so we're in the place where Jesus is sharing this very important message. And he continues as he's unpacking of what it means to live a blessed life. He says, blessed are those poor in spirit. This is where he begins, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we know this, this message that Jesus is sharing. In Luke's Gospel, we see that Jesus has gone up on a mountaintop. He selected the disciples. And then we have this passage, this passage of the Sermon on the Mount, as it's called in your Bibles. But what this really is, is this is like the commissioning service for the disciples. This is, this is their sending out. This is what Jesus is explaining as it pertains to what it means to follow him, to be a, a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. When we look at Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5, we see that this was a message that, that Jesus widely circulated. As Jesus was traveling throughout Galilee, traveling throughout Judea, this is the message he's sharing. So that's why this message is so important for us to understand. We find in Matthew's Gospel that he says he sat down. It was a, a, a symbol of authority that what he was about to say was really important says he opened his mouth because what he was going to share was coming from his heart. It was, it was really important for Jesus to explain this message as it relates to being a citizen in the kingdom of God. So we need to take hold of this message today, and we need to understand what it means. And so what I'm going to do is I want to first uh, review the first six of these blessings and talk about those briefly, and then I'm going to unpack a little bit more deeply the last two that we haven't covered up to this point. Because what we find in this definition of a blessed life is Jesus says to experience a blessed life, you must be a citizen in the kingdom of God. And so we need to understand what it looks like to be that citizen. All right, so you may have the question, why is pastor sitting down? I'm scared. <laughs> no worries. Uh, what I want to do, though, is I really do want to dive deeply into uh, this passage this morning, uh, maybe like 30 minutes. So, to answer your question, why is Pastor sitting? Because we're going to dive deep today, okay? Second thing is, here's why. Because what I'm about to say, so Jesus, before he goes up the Sermon on the Mount, the, the place of teaching in the New Testament was one of actually sitting. 
It was, and that was Jesus saying what I'm about to say is really, really important. So here you go. I want some neighbor interaction. Ask your neighbor. Why is pastor sitting? Go ahead. Ask your neighbor. Here's the answer you give him because what he's about to say is really, really important. So give him that answer. So pay attention. We're going to dive in deep. These qualities, it really does set the stage for everything as it relates to the teachings of Jesus. If you understand these blessings of kingdom citizenship, you absolutely will understand the teachings of Jesus in in unbelievable ways. So Jesus gets to the end of this Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about, in this life, you will face storms. And the question is, when you face those storms, upon what have you built your foundation? Have you built it upon the world standards, upon the culture in which you live in, that sand? Or have you built it upon the teachings of Jesus, because that's a sure foundation? So as we head into this Uh, message this morning, it begins to lay out the qualities. This is the front end of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is basically saying, look, you want to enter my kingdom? This is what that looks like. This is what my citizens look like. So I want to enter into that this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the first two qualities, that you're blessed as a citizen of heaven, with the first understanding that you're blessed as you're poor in spirit, as you recognize your need of help. The second quality is, is you are blessed as you mourn as you understand the need that you have for God and you want to turn from evil ways and never return to it. Blessed are those citizens. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he's going to continue in the message, and I'm going to help you with your notes this morning because I don't know about you, but I've already filled up Luke chapter 6 with my other message. So if you take notes in your Bible, because I've encouraged that, that's why I want you to have your Bible, then what I'd encourage you to do today as we get into part two of Citizens of Heaven is make a note in Luke chapter 6, just say, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And go ahead and take your notes in Matthew chapter 5 today, okay? So don't get frustrated with me. For those that are avid note takers, which I highly encourage, uh, just go turn to Matthew chapter 5, take your notes there today. Uh, You should have space there. We haven't gotten into Matthew. But what I want to do this morning is we look at the teachings of Jesus. We cover the first two. And the next thing he says is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And what we find in that is, you are blessed as a citizen of heaven by being strong and easy to live with. You are blessed as a citizen of heaven by being strong and easy to live with. You know, instead of the powerful, the influential, the wealthy, Jesus says the meek are blessed. And this goes against modern day thinking that measures blessings by popularity and influence. So Jesus' citizenship, it always is going to be countercultural. The Old Testament meek person, if we look at the definition, an Old Testament person, if they were meek, they were fully submitted to God. That was the definition in the Old Testament. When things went well for that person in the Old Testament, they blessed God. And if things were going poorly, they still blessed God. That's a meek person in the Old Testament. They trusted in God's sovereignty. Abraham, he's an example of meekness. Think about his example. He allowed Lot, the younger man, to pick out the choice piece of land without a murmur or complaint. That's meekness. That's being strong but easy to live with. David knew he was to be king. He'd been informed and anointed, and yet he allowed himself to suffer at the hands of Saul. That's great meekness. Uh, Defining meekness. If we take a look at some of the other examples we have, Aristotle, he said that meekness lays somewhere between recklessness and cowardice. Somewhere in between those two. You're not reckless, but you're not a coward either. He said it would lie between anger and angerlessness. So when you look at some of the issues in the world, it's, it's you ride in between those two things. Plato, he considered someone meek if they attempted to right wrong and challenge injustice. Attempted to right wrong and challenge injustice. 
he actually saw a wrongdoer as sick in need of healing. Do you ever look at people in the world that way? As sick in need of healing? It changes the way you, you look at people. The New Testament, which is where we really should get our definition from, it translates meek as gentle, modest, unselfish, teachable, and cooperative. Those are great qualities of a meek person. And Jesus obviously serves as the best example of meekness. Think about his life. The way he reacted to people, the way he suffered persecution as the son of God, he could control the wind and the waves. He could have called down a legion of angels to take him off the cross. He didn't do that. He was meek. He even says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, I am meek and lowly in heart. There's four things that define someone who's meek, four qualities. We look at power, control, willfulness, and purpose. Those four things. Meekness is power under willful submission, being genuinely strong without needing to express it. Someone meek, they use power correctly. In other words, here's what this beatitude says. It comes from our first point. This is why I use this as our label, our header. I will be strong and easy to live with. That's a meek person. Meekness is a quality Jesus modeled by humbly becoming a man. Think about that. He clearly displayed this attitude when washing the disciples' feet. Out of meekness, here's his life as a portrait. He's carrying a shepherd's rod. He has a king's scepter. He wears a prophet's mantle. And what does he do? He uses a towel to serve others. That's meekness. A person cannot be meek unless he's poor in spirit. This is how we start connecting the dots between these. A recognition of spiritual poverty that says, God, I need your help. To be truly meek means we no longer protect ourselves. That's a good one. Because we see there's nothing worth defending. Let me say that again. If you're meek, you no longer protect yourself because you see there's nothing worth defending. John Bunyan he says it really well. He says, he that is down need fear no fall. <laughs> he that is down need fear no fall. It's true. The person who's truly meek is the one who's amazed that God and others can think and treat him or her as well as they do. You ever reflected on that? God, thank you, Jesus, that people treat me the way that they do. I always challenge people as they come in and they talk about maybe coworkers that don't treat them well. And I'll, first I'll ask them, well, do they know Jesus? Well, no. What do you expect? I you know, you went into the workplace with the wrong expectation. I don't know what to tell you. You know, you need to thank God if they do treat you well. You know, one expression of the fruit of the Spirit-filled life is gentleness, which is an outward form of meekness. So this display of spiritual formation is not something that we can personally produce. I'm going to keep re reinforcing that. Only the Holy Spirit in us can allow us to live like this. You can't simply decide to live out these kingdom qualities. As you draw close to Jesus, you simply begin to live them out. This list that we're walking through is not prescriptive, it's descriptive. Do you understand the difference? I'm not prescribing this is how you live. I'm saying, if you're close to Jesus, this is what I should see in you. So then you begin to examine. It says, you know, you'll know them by their fruit. I love that verse as it applies to this list. If you're not displaying these things, what that tells me is, you're probably not taking time to abide in Jesus. Jesus declared the meek inherit the land. This is the promise. The meek shall inherit the earth. There's always a promise tied to these blessings. So to counter the culture of Jesus' day, Jesus spent the majority of his ministry near Galilee, where we were filming. And in this area, there was a group that adhered to what's called the fourth philosophy. So when you go back to first century Judaism, there were Pharisees and Sadducees. If you've read the New Testament, you know about them. If you went to Israel, you learned a lot more about the Essenes. We talked about the Essene community. I've talked about them here too. 
But then there's also one that's the fourth philosophy. They were kind of under the Pharisees, but they were basically zealots. They were radicals. And they were thinking that the way that you inherit the land, the way that you take over from Roman occupation is through violence. But Jesus says this. He adhered to the principles of a peace movement, and what he says is the meek shall inherit the land, not violence or members of a particular race or political party. Jesus redefines who gets the land. And when Jesus talks about inheriting land, what he's doing is he's quoting from Psalm 37. And land serves, if you turn there and look it up later, it serves as a symbol of all God's promises fulfilled. So land is a symbol of God's promises. The meek shall inherit the promises of God. I love that. I don't know about you, but I would sure love to inherit the promises of God. And the meek are guaranteed that. God desires to grant the full right of citizenship in his kingdom to those under his rule. When he rules, the meek are God-controlled, and they live a more disciplined life. God can then give them what he's promised. As you live that disciplined life, God can entrust you with his promises. That's how it works. Uh, Reinhold Neubauer, he writes the serenity prayer, which really displays meekness, and you're probably familiar with it. He wrote, God, give me the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. That's meekness. I trust your sovereignty, God. Courage to change the things which should be changed. Have that courage to change the injustice and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. In other words, God, may I not spin my wheels on things you don't mean to be changed. May I embrace those things. It's a good prayer. People are to live one day at a time, enjoy one moment at a time, and accept hardship as a pathway to peace. That's what Jesus is saying. Take as Jesus did the world as it is. He embraced it as it was, not as you would have it. Trust that he will make all things right. Is Jesus coming again? Will he make all things right? Then let's trust in that. That's why we call it our blessed hope. He's going to make it right. And in doing so, you will be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy in the next. Ask the Holy Spirit to develop greater gentleness in your life. Have courage to change the things which can be changed and willingly surrender to his will when change is impossible. Do you really give all things over to God? Are you open-handed with him? Make Jesus ruler of your life and experience full citizenship in his kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So the second thing we find in the, in the next quality is you are blessed as a citizen of heaven as you maintain an insatiable desire to do what is right toward God and others. Blessed is the citizen of heaven who maintains an insatiable desire to do what is right toward God and others. Citizens of heaven, we know they're poor in spirit, they mourn, they're meek, so we have these qualities. And so now this kingdom quality, it begins to turn away from examination of self, and now it begins to look at our relationship with God and man. So this is our transition into communion this morning that Shelley shared. The issue in this blessing is satisfaction. So if you're hungering and thirsting, he tells us that we're going to be satisfied, but the question is, where are you seeking satisfaction? Blessed are the hungry. The question is, are you satisfied in only praying the sinner's prayer? In other words, saying, Jesus, I want to belong to you. Or are you starving for more out of your relationship with God? Are you really hungry? Real hunger, starvation is not satisfied with a mere piece of bread. It wants the whole loaf. We were at Spaghetti Factory last night with our kids. I tell you what, it is hard to tell your kids, like, wait for the meal to come. Nate, he saw that bread on the table and he wanted the whole loaf because he was starving. I did make him wait. But that's the kind of starvation we should have. God, do we want the whole loaf or are we satisfied with just a piece of bread? And what are you hungry for? 
What are you seeking satisfaction in? We're not to hunger and thirst after blessedness. We don't just hunger for blessings. We're not to hunger and thirst for happiness. We're not to hunger and thirst for safety and security. We're not to hunger and thirst for experiences. We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger for righteous justice, to be right with God and other people. Is that what you're hungry for? I pray communion gave you a taste of that this morning. Go back to our definition of righteousness from before I shared this a couple weeks ago. It means giving both God and man what they're due. In the Bible, a righteous person meets both of these obligations, fulfilling the great commandment to love God and to love their neighbor. Blessed are those with an insatiable desire to do what is right toward God and others. That's what hunger and thirsting is. Hungering for righteousness addresses necessity and desire. Kingdom people are desperately determined to make righteous living a priority and making the pursuit of righteousness a matter of life or death. God, I am so hungry to be right with you and so hungry to be right with others. I want to go after that. Jesus does not say, blessed are those who live righteously and maintain a righteous lifestyle. No, what he says is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is an ongoing hunger and starvation. What he's saying is, blessed are those Not to those who arrive, but those who continue at whatever the cost in their journey toward a more perfect righteousness. This is an ongoing, ongoing thing. A constant, relentless drive toward righteousness. The person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness is the person who wants to exemplify these qualities in their daily life. Now, reading from our psalm this morning, Psalm 42, it said, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you. This is a great description. I thirst for God, the living God. J.N. Darby, he sums up the story of the prodigal son. I've never heard a better summary in one sentence. When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed upon the husks. Okay, this is just hungry. But when he was starving, he turned to his father. When you're starving, what are you turning to? When you hunger and thirst for the right thing, that's when you experience satisfaction. So you've got to have the right hunger. This is what the promises in Matthew 6, 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all these things will be added. If you hunger for the right things, God takes care of the rest. If you're hungry for more of God, you're going to spend time reading the Bible. You're going to take time to pray. You meditate on his words. You abide in him. So it's interesting how if you abide in him, you live out these qualities. But as you live out these qualities, you want more of him. The person who really hungers after God, they're in church. Why? Because they can't wait to get more, of, more time with him. We, we took time on Wednesday night for those that joined us on the Purdue campus to sing praises in his name. Those who hunger after righteousness that want more of God and, and more uh, righteousness in their lives with others, they see an opportunity and they want to be there. Those are the, hunger, uh, the hungry and the thirsty. So ask yourself, what kind of Jesus follower do you want to be? Here's your examination time. You know, are you satisfied by being a C Christian? Like, I don't want to be an A student. I'm, I'm okay not to be a B student. I just want to be a C Christian. I hope not. I hope that's not your desire. If there's anything you should want to excel at in life, it's in the way that you follow Jesus. That's something worth going after. Excel in the type of citizen you are in God's kingdom. What brings satisfaction? What's your deepest desire? What makes you fulfilled? If you're a true citizen of heaven, you're going to be driven toward being right with God and others. If we really understood the gift that we've been given in Jesus, if we really understood it, I'm convinced we would desire nothing else. Knowing nothing else satisfies. So don't be satisfied with just a little bit of righteousness. 
Hunger for it and ask yourself how righteous you want to be when you stand before God. You ever thought about that? But here's the real reflection point. You need to realize you already are. God sees you as you are right now. How does he see you? What kind of hunger does he see in your soul for more of him? So you need to realize, you need to ask the question, how do I want to stand before God and realize we're already there? We're standing before him. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So the next blessing we see is for citizens of heaven is when you see needs and you meet needs. You are blessed as a citizen of heaven when you see needs and when you meet needs. You know, many people think merciful means to be easygoing, almost like not to see things. Some people could view mercy that way, that everyone has the right to do as they like, but that's not mercy. Mercy means having a sense of pity and a desire to relieve the suffering. Merciful is to be compassionate plus action. It's seeing a need and making a difference. Today we're going to close our service with the opportunity to pray for victims of, of Hurricane Harvey. And we want to take up an offering that would go to Convoy of Hope, which is a great organization in case you don't know that. In case you were looking this week, well, how could I be a part of making a difference? Convoy of Hope. If you do like the charity watch groups, Convoy of Hope is high up there on the list of a place to give. And so we want to do that today. We know there's a need, so we see it. And now we want to be a part of this blessing to say we want to help be a part of meeting that need. You know, the New Testament, it's written in Greek, but it's likely Jesus was speaking in Aramaic or Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for merciful is hesed, which means a strong and steadfast love. So when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, what he's saying is, blessed are those with a strong and steadfast love for God and others. Blessed are those. And the blessing, it follows all the others. Think about this. This is how we're going to start tying these all together. I'm poor in spirit. I realize I have no righteousness. I realize that face to face with God and his righteousness, I'm utterly helpless. I can do nothing. That's the, that's the bottom point. And then not only that, I mourn because of the sin that's within me. I know what it is to cry out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And a desire to rid of this vileness. God, remove it from me. And I'm meek, which means that now that I've experienced this true view of myself, and that's what it really is. When you examine yourself and you see yourself for what you really are, nobody else can hurt me. Nobody else can insult me. You almost come into agreement. You know, you're a jerk. I am. Yeah. Like, there's nothing that can bounce off you because you realize, yeah, that is true. That is who I am. And so what happens is I've seen myself and now I hunger and thirst to be right with God and others. I have a desire to be satisfied in him. I long for it. I've seen my desperate position in the sight of God. I've hungered and thirsted for that righteousness, which means I want to be put right before God for him to give me a new nature and a new life. That's how all these things tie together. And because I've seen and experienced all of that, my attitude towards everybody else is completely changed. That's how we live as citizens. If all of this is true of me, I no longer see people as I used to see them. I see them as victims of sin and Satan in the way of the world. And you need to look at the lost in that lens. You don't need to get frustrated with people that don't know Jesus. You need to say, God, help me be merciful. I've come to see them not simply as, as those I dislike, but as people to be pitied. I've come to see them as people being governed by the God of this world as being where I was. And so I'm sorry for them. And because of that, I can be and must be merciful with respect to them. So you've seen how all these things tie together? One leads to the other. One builds upon the next. 
So the Sermon on the Mount, which is the section of Scripture that we're really in right now, it's this great and grand elaboration of what Jesus calls the great commandment. So this is really what we're unpacking. The great commandment is to love God and to love others. And so this is what it means. When I talk about, you know, we've talked about five core values. You abide daily. I always start there. Why? Because if you're abiding daily, you can live the word, which is loving God and loving others. And the way that that's expressed, if you love God and love others, you want to share his story because you don't want people to live in that place without him. You want to give generously so that we can make a difference all around the world with his message, and you want to serve others. So that's how these things all tie together. Our core values come from these kingdom qualities. A citizen of heaven, you know, George Washington, when he heard the Declaration of Independence was signed, he requested it to be read aloud to his soldiers so they would know what it is that many would be dying for. He asked them, give me the declaration. I want us to read it out loud. My soldiers need to know what it is that they're going to put their lives on the line for. It was this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So he takes the whole declaration, he wants it read, and what Jesus is doing when he's sharing these blessings, he's saying, look, this is my declaration of what it looks like to live in my kingdom. If you want to be a citizen of my kingdom, this is what you're going to look like. So before you sign on, make sure you know what it's going to be. And this is what he's saying because you know what? Your life might be on the line as you get to the last in that list. You know, he's not painting a real pleasant picture of kingdom living when you really go through this list. At the beginning of his ministry, he tells the crowd, look, you want to join me? This is what it's going to look like. People were expecting a military deliverer. You need to understand first century. They're hoping for someone to come and overthrow Rome. But what does Jesus say? Blessed are the merciful. Israel didn't want a merciful leader. They wanted a conquering one. Blessed are those with strong, steadfast love, for they receive mercy. So I encourage you, recognize your need for mercy and ask God to give you a strong and steadfast love so you receive it. Display mercy to others. So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And our last blessing today is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So you're blessed as a citizen of heaven as you maintain good intentions. That's the last one today. Blessed are you as you maintain good intentions. So the first three Beatitudes, they're concerned with our need, our consciousness of need, the poor in spirit, mourning because of our sinfulness, meek as a result of a true understanding of our nature, that we need help, we're faulty. And then comes a great statement of how we satisfy that need, God's provisions for it. We receive that as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, because then we're filled. And then from there on, we're looking at the result of that satisfaction, the result of us being filled. We become merciful, we become pure of heart, we become peacemakers, And after that, the outcome of all this, persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's an interesting list. And there's this correspondence between the statements. The second statement, we mourn over sin, which is being connected to our being pure of heart. Because the only way to have a pure heart is to realize you have an impure one. And to mourn about it to such an extent that you hunger for more of God. You find satisfaction in him, which leads to cleansing and purity. In this verse, Jesus is referring to internal purity, not external. And purity requires 100%. Can something be pure if it's less than 100% pure? Can it be? No. There's no such thing as 99% pure. Maybe you could read a food label and find that. (laughs) 99% pure. Don't don't buy that item. When we lived in Jerusalem, our, our Muslim and Jewish neighbors, they would not eat pork. 
So if they're going to a butcher and they're going to buy hamburger, they expect it to be 100% pure. So even if it's 99.99% hamburger and 0.01% pork, guess what? They don't want it. Purity requires 100%. Following Jesus is a matter of the heart. You know, oftentimes we think of our heart in terms of emotions, but Scripture says the heart includes the center of man's being and personality. It's his mind and his will. This is all our heart. It's the totality of a person. Soren Kierkegaard, the, the Danish philosopher, theologian, he considered those who are pure of heart as those who will one thing. With these individuals, it's a what you see is what you get. Like there's no false motive, hidden agenda. It's just there's one thing when you see that person. So pure of heart has to do with motive or intent. And scripture tells us David was a man after God's own heart. David had intended to construct a temple to God. And although he was not allowed to do the construction, the Lord recognized his heart for wanting to build it. Here's what we find in 1 Kings. It says, but the Lord told him, you wanted to build the temple to honor my name. Your intention was good. You were pure of heart. David's intentions were good. He's pure of heart. You know, a phrase commonly used is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, sure. Well, actually, according to this beatitude, apparently the road to heaven is paved with good intentions. And it's actually divinely blessed. Blessed are the pure of heart. Blessed are those with good intentions. Uh, when our family lived in Jerusalem, Nate and Haley, so they were young, so we're talking like kindergarten, preschool. On our way to uh, walk to their preschool in the school, they would take flowers from, you know, the, the walls, flowers would grow out of it, and they would pick them so they could give them to their teachers. Now, we're talking, you know, kindergarten, preschoolers, not real good at picking flowers. So sometimes they got a whole rose, sometimes they got a few petals. Uh, but you know what? No matter what the teacher received, they appreciated it. Why? Because their heart was good. They had good intentions. God measures the goodness and faithfulness of a person more than their success. You know, citizens of heaven, we want to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. And you may not accomplish everything you set out to do. Here's the question. Are your intentions good? It's not about what you're doing. It's the way and the heart in which you're doing it. Are you faithful? And what does God say about the pure in heart? Here's the promise. They shall see God. That's incredible. The New Testament book of Hebrews, it presents a parallel passage regarding this idea. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pure in heart shall see the Lord. Those that are not at peace with everyone and holy before God will not see the Lord. That's, that's, the, that's the context. In this passage, loving others and holiness is, context, uh, is connected to our ability to see God. So what's necessary before you can see him? You've got to love others and you've got to live holy, which is simply to love God. As you love others, truly love others and love God, you get to see him. You maintain a pure heart before God as you truly love him and love others, all others. By wanting to please Jesus, by loving God and neighbor, heaven is experienced on earth with the promise of seeing God. Seeing God refers to an advanced knowledge or vision of him. In the days of castles and palaces, travelers would visit in hopes of seeing the king. So these travelers are traveling through the countryside. They stop in. They hope to see the king. But only those who were friends of the king's presence, they got to see the king. So here's what Jesus is saying. As you remain pure of heart, you are friends of my presence, and you get to see me. Are you a friend of Jesus' presence? I shared a message last fall called Heal Our Land, and in it I shared how God uh, desires for us as believers to seek him out. It's tied to this passage. 
Here's what we see in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. So we humble ourselves before God. We seek his face. The pure of heart, those of good intent, they get to see him. So be pure in heart by truly loving God and others. Ask Jesus to give you strength to be faithful, to be of good intent in every endeavor, and demonstrate that you're a friend of the king's presence. You truly are blessed as a citizen of heaven. I'm going to invite the music team back up today as we're going to close in song here in a moment. And I don't think I've ever met a person who didn't want to live a blessed life. Nobody has ever said, I hope that my life is not blessed. And here's how the world would define that we live in blessings. Here's the messages you get. You're blessed if you own your own home. You're blessed if you drive a great car. You're blessed if you have an important job. You're blessed if other people think well of you. You're blessed if you have a great retirement plan. So that's the blessings that the world would say. But here's what Jesus says. You're blessed as you recognize your need of help. You're blessed as you admit your faults and seek not to return to former ways. You are blessed as you're strong but easy to live with. You are blessed as you desire more of me, more of God. You're blessed as you see needs and meet needs. And you're blessed as you maintain good intentions. So my challenge to you today is seek out the blessed life that Jesus has. That's where real blessing is found. And these are qualities you can't do on your own. They're only accomplished as you abide in Jesus and you start to live like him. And you'll start to see this in people. They start to live out these qualities and you realize, man, they're living close to Jesus. Well, I'm going to, uh, in closing this morning, before we, we dive into song, uh, I do want to ask if there's anybody here today that would say, you know what, part of the reason I'm not living a blessed life is because I've never become a citizen of heaven. And that happens as you surrender your life to Jesus. But maybe you'd say, but I really would like to become a citizen of heaven today. And I don't want you to walk out of this place without that opportunity. So with every head bowed here this morning, I just want to ask before we close today, if you're here today and you'd say, I want to become a citizen of heaven, I want to live that kind of blessed life. Simply raise your hand and we'll pray with you before you go today. Anybody here today says, I want to be a citizen of heaven. I don't want to leave from this place and not live like that. Anybody here today would say, that's me. I want to be a citizen of heaven today. I want to walk out of this place in that kind of life. I'm going to invite the floor host forward. I do want us to respond in the way that these qualities are lived out where we see a need and meet a need. So if you're going to help us by collecting the offering this afternoon, if you could take that, uh, come forward. Can we just pray for a moment and pray for the victims of Hurricane Harvey? There's a, a great need there today. and They need our prayers and they need our resources. They need us to give generously. So let's do that this morning. Can you just agree with me in prayer? Jesus, we just pray that you would meet incredible needs today. God, I pray that you would bring peace into people's lives like they have never known. May they understand that possessions, Father, are not where peace is found. It's not where blessings are found. But Lord, may they understand that they are blessed as they're living in you. So God, I pray that even amidst the, the struggle, the tragedy, God, I pray that people would be drawn closer to you because of it. God, use this event for your glory. God, I pray that people would experience your mercy, your grace, your peace. I pray, Lord, that you would equip the responders to meet needs today. Lord, I pray that uh, for those that have lost much, I pray that they would gain much in you today. I pray that you would uh, pour out a special, special measure of blessing in their lives, Father, in the way that you meet their needs today. God, I, I do pray that as we respond 
through giving today. I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to give with generous hearts. Lord, as we see a need, may we meet that need this morning. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.